The Sports Walk is back. Watch season three of Backpack Broadcasting's original web series that brings you the opinions of real sports fans. The first two seasons and current season are available now for viewing on the Sports Walk YouTube channel and Facebook page. Check out the 2017 NYC WebFest official selection and see what other sports fans have to say on the hottest issues in sports today. It's easy. Just take the Sports Walk. podcast episode 152 dexter henry brian fonseca you know doing the thing staying safe socially distancing from home talking to you about the best going on in the world of hip-hop and sports a lot going on in the world lots to talk about b what's up man how you doing i uh choked on a frosted flake this morning so that happened glad yeah, you're okay like, so remember remember i told you like we talked on the phone privately recently but i'm actually gonna bring this out to public where i said i would never want to like i don't think i can handle living by myself so that that brought me to sort of uh that state of mind because i was like man that would have been a, a trash way to go out you know what i mean the way i carry myself to get choked out by a frosting flake and it having ended right there right before i even vote because i'm actually going to vote tomorrow today when this podcast is up i'm gonna be at the polls with my brother um, like, you know what I mean? Like, what, what, like, it was just whack. Like, it just went down the wrong pipe, and I had to run, get water. Like, it was embarrassing. I felt like a bitch. You know what I mean? Like, I just felt like a bitch. I mean, some people <laughs> might listen to that and still say that you are, considering you almost <laughs> got taken out by a Frosted Flake. It's true. Look, look. You got I taken mean, out by a sweet cereal. So, it was, it was that. Oh, uh, yeah, because I didn't feel like doing anything. I was just like, I just grabbed some cereal. I was like, I'm just going to have this for breakfast. You know, mm-hmm. it is what it is. So it, the question is now, the next time you have to have cereal, are you going back to the Frosted Flakes? Or are you switching up your cereal choice because you can't bang with the Frosted Flakes because it almost took you out? Nah, I got to finish the box, yo. I got it. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> we got to make the money's worth. You know good, what I'm saying? Well, so. good, well good luck with that. <laughs> Fro- Frosted, Flake, Frosted Flake number two in there is waiting on you. Yeah, so Take you out. what happens. Oh, so there's that, and I also been telling you. I also told you about this other game I've been playing on my phone called oh, Raptor Simulator. Yo, what you talk? No, no, no. But you gotta hold that because I want to try to play it and then come back here and give my review. Yeah, gonna, yeah. Review yeah. for that because it sounds interesting. I'll say that. I might, I might need to walk you through a couple things, but it's it's kind of funny. It like, sounds it sounds interesting. I don't know if I have the time for it. We'll try. But before we get started, we do have some news to announce. If you are looking, if you're watching this podcast. And you're looking behind Brian, you will see that myself and Brian took home a bunch of awards. That's right. At the Global um, Independent Film Awards, the 2020 Global Independent Film Awards, we submitted uh, our Sideline Stories piece that we worked on a couple years ago uh, called La Cultura, a Puerto Rican boxing story in which we followed around uh, three fighters all from Brooklyn, Brooklyn based and all Puerto Rican. Um, as they led up to a fight uh, towards uh, the day before the Puerto Rican Day Parade. So we put a lot of work and, in the story. And documented the first parade since her, uh, post-Hurricane Hurricane Maria. Hurricane Maria. And we should also give note that these awards also are shared by um, Matthew Feniza, uh, Luis Velez, and Maddie P., all who have worked on this podcast, um, on this. And we got five awards. We submitted for a couple. We got, I'm definitely proud to say this, 
best uh, short film documentary. Yep. We also won a uh, best sports uh, film documentary um, in yep. there. Uh, those were both gold placed. That means number one first. We were the best in those categories. Yep. Um, we also, uh, Brian and I finished third. Brian finished third for best Latino director. I finished third for best black director. Um, and then why am I bugging out on the fifth award that we got? I got second in uh, Latino, Latino screenwriting. Latino screenwriting. Yes, there yeah. we go. Latino Which, screenwriting. Which, I mean, it's, 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 La Cultura is not really a screenplay. However, two things on that front. One, yes. uh, that's just for the writing in general because, you know, we did, like, I did have to do writing for, like, the stand-ups and voiceovers and stuff like that. That's right. And secondly, I'm not complaining about putting that on my resume because, you know, that's something that I'm looking to tackle in the near future. I, rem- you know I, re- so- I remember, the one thing I'll say is, you know, for people who don't know, and Brian and I are going to do something where we talk more about this project shortly down the road so we'll get that out we're going to sit and talk more about what we did with this sort of a behind the scenes with this but one thing i will share to people is i remember brian and i left the puerto rican day parade and we hunkered down <laughs> got some food um do this this is also this is yes yeah, for like maybe 11 hours 12 hours or so and we just like finished it i was already starting to lay stuff out and i remember brian said to me at the end of doing it i was like adding credits and stuff and he was like Yo, I get a producer credit. I was like, yeah, 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 because you know you put it, you put in the work, and you sat through the process, and you were very conscious of how stuff goes. And for people that don't Told know, you to slow down the Eric Berlanga knockdown. Knockdown. Yeah, there's a lot of details that we will go into in another discussion that people should watch when we talk about the stuff like that and the process behind it. And what people should know also is this was uh, this was Brian's idea. This was a story that Brian came to me and found the fighters and was like, "Yo, we should do." this, this, and this. And what I would like to say about that, that I'll speak more in another time is I'm always a big proponent of when you have passion behind stories and you really want to tell those stories and they really relate to you or your culture or your experience, it really can shine through in the storytelling. And because Brian was very passionate about it, that shone through even up to the details of, yo, man, let's this is the first, you know, Puerto Rican Day Parade since Hurricane Maria. And let's go to the parade and let's do this for the culture. These were Brian's ideas. And every time he said something to me about this story, it just always felt right. Like for me, as somebody who produced it and was kind of overseeing it, if you want to use that term, it just always felt right. I was like, yeah, that, that works with the passion. That works, that works, that works. And I think all of that shows, and I think uh, people who watch this film, specifically from what I see, the people in the Puerto Rican community and boxing fans, you can see how it touches them or it, it resonates with them. Um, I believe this is rapidly approaching, shooting to take over probably our most watched video uh, on Backpack Broadcasting. It's up there, somewhere in the top five. Um, it's had over 33,000 views in two yeah, years. It's approaching 40. It's probably going to get to 40 before the end of the year. Right. And and so, you know, the views, the acclaim that it's gotten even two years later to see people looking at it. Look, I'm very proud of it. It's one of the things I've worked on that I'm most proud of. But I'm very proud of Brian for just executing and, and sticking through um, the storytelling. And from the time he told me, again, we'll talk about this more in another thing. I was like, no, this is a good idea. Like sometimes people come to you with something and this is the passion and the, it fit what we wanted to do with sideline stories. And, you know, I'm glad to see it get the honor. But yeah, five awards, people. Five. That's From that, <laughs> from that festival. From just that total, festival. Yes. In total, it's been like eight or something like that. I got to go back and check. And, and honestly, like that's that's done better than I even thought, as good as we thought the piece 
uh, what like would have done. Yeah. Like, it also took a while. It was kind of a slow burn to get to this point because when we were looking to submit early on, there wasn't really anything out there necessarily. And then right. some stuff popped up recently. And, you know, especially me, like I knew more about the process having experienced it with Side Hustle. So we kind of knew uh, where we thought that like <clears throat> we could match up with some other films. And look, there's been some stiff competition out there. and We fared well. So obviously we're going to look to do more of that as sort of quarantine hopefully wraps up, but also uh, Dexter's role in it. Like it's important just as a manager of a company or of a team to be able to put things in motion so that they can run in a certain way. So I think you have to be commended for that as well, because as I've said, you got to take credit uh, or I'll just give you the credit for just a lot of people who are doing stuff in sort of the uh, content creation space in New York city who have come up over the last few years, who we've had on this podcast, who have worked on this podcast and have gone on to do other great things. Like a lot of them will credit you for their success. And I think there's something to be said for that as you're, you know, going to reach, you know, whatever's the next part of your career. Yeah. I just, I just think the thing for me is always, like I say to people, whenever people talk about that is, is making sure that you give people platforms to do the things that they're good at and, even though some like everybody on this team has worked on this on this piece, I was much older than I was the oldest person. You know what I'm saying? I was kind of the veteran of there. But there's yeah. a lot of uh, listening and letting people do. You know, Brian knows that with me through the process. It's like, oh, I might give some direction, but I let once I trust you in the process, I let you kind of do your own thing. So Luis and Matt, they did their things with shooting. They captured stuff. I mean, the best night we got that stuff in the fight. We have that one of Berlanga's knockouts that is a crazy knockout that you yeah. can go watch it. So we have it on Twitter. You can find it. Trust me. People will, people will use that knockout for, for years down the road, looking if he ascends to the heights that we think he can. So, you know, to, to get those kind of fighters on the come up and talk to all of them. And for me to just kind of watch it come together. Uh, it was dope, man. It was a lot of, it was a lot of work. I mean, people probably really don't realize it was probably in total. I don't know. Maybe like in terms of total shoots, it was really like five shoots. Yeah, um, it, was, it was a couple sit downs, at sit downs, gyms. and there was some was stuff I went. Yeah, there was some stuff independently. I went and shot on my own, the uh, like the way in and stuff. But we had it, to go to Matthew twice because we linked up with him in Ridgewood, and then we went to him in Flatbush. Flatbush. Different yeah, gyms. I forgot about that. Yeah. See, I'm sorry. It might be more. It might have been six or seven um, yeah. things. Things that we did, but. You know, we we got it done, and it was fun, man. And this this probably this festival is the one I'm probably the most proud of, just because of the amount of awards we took home, and and the way we were diversely recognized. Um, mm-hmm. As this festival yeah. had a lot of categories to do so, so you know, salute and shout out to Global Independent uh, Film Awards because uh, they did a good job. They had a lot of categories, but I thought they recognized a lot of things for people doing diverse storytelling. Um, in all different communities. So I thought that was dope. So, you know, salute to them. So we got that out the way. We had to let y'all know we shining. <laughs> ain't, ain't, ain't nothing wrong with that. Uh, but, that's, but, but you know, it's all good. Salute. There's a lot more to come. There's more that we're trying to work on and do. So, um, you know, stay, stay, stay tuned. And like I said, we're going to do something about talking about behind the scenes and, and stuff with that piece as, as it continues to live, live on and grow. What's up, listeners and supporters of the Ain't Hard to Tell podcast? We need some help from you, and it won't take up too much of your time. As we grow, we always want to hear your feedback, so take a minute or two to fill out a short anonymous survey. The survey link is right in the episode notes for this podcast. It's easy and takes less than five minutes. As always, we thank you for your continued support.
the NBA might be back sooner than you think uh, or thought. Too Look, soon, Brian and I have spoke about this probably towards the end of the finals. Mm. And we were hearing a lot of stuff. And I think a lot of the people around the league were hearing, hey, this could be as early as Martin Luther King Day. But we were even hearing some stuff where it could be till March. Yeah. But late last week, uh, you know, there was some reporting done by uh, Woj and Brian Windhorst in which the NBA is pursuing a pre-Christmas Day start and a reduced regular season that could be around 72 games. Um, there could be a play-in tournament or there could be a two weeks off, two-week break. Um, there's a likelihood of no All-Star Game weekend, which would have been in Indianapolis. Um, and so all this stuff has to be voted on by the end of this week, which is very interesting. And you got to remember, the draft is November 18th. The draft is November 18th. You're talking about a season that could start December 22nd or 23rd, a couple days before Christmas. Um, that's a good point. And that's a very quick turnaround for a lot of people. It's even a very quick turnaround for LeBron James and the Lakers, who were playing basketball on October 11th. Mm. So, you know, it's tough. And, and Jimmy Butler and Bam. Jimmy and Butler and Bam. Well. And then he, too, yeah. right. They were playing out basketball up to October 11th. Um, but listen, why is this happening? We all know the answer to this. It always comes back down to money, right? Nice. This is the pre-Christmas start will allow the NBA television partners, ESPN, TNT, you know, to get the most value they can out of their broadcast partnerships. And you know that also these owners and broadcast partners, they want to get back on schedule. The NBA doesn't want to have to compete and go up again. They don't want to play in September and October going up against football, NFL, college football, baseball. There's too much. Even, I don't know how you felt, B, but I felt like there was some kind of sports fatigue. Even when the finals was done, I kind of had to be like, I really couldn't get into the league championship series. I have been watching the World Mm -hmm. Series. But... You know, it's kind of been just too much going on. Uh, what do you make of this? <laughs> what it could be a quick return. Like basketball could be, you know, just ended and I could be ordering league pass in eight weeks. I would have felt a lot better about it starting in January, but I understand why. I mean, it's 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 very hard if you're the NBA to just miss Christmas. You know what I mean? Like just straight up. It's just very hard to miss that day. It's literally the same thing as the NFL missing Thanksgiving, which is something that's unheard of and it's probably never going to happen unless we have another pandemic knock on wood. It doesn't happen. And hopefully we get rid of this one first. Um, I just think that like it's it's like you're talking about eight weeks for the Heat and Lakers roughly. Right. So this two months of a, of a turnaround where that's just tough. And the point about the rookies that you just brought up, I didn't even consider that. These guys are getting drafted in November. One month later, they're gonna be have they're gonna have to be playing games when normally in a standard schedule you're talking about June 25th ish is the draft. Mm-hmm. Four months later, you're playing your first regular season game. Four months later, well, one, a couple weeks later, you're in summer league. That's it, and then you play that for you know three five games or however long your team is in summer league for. But this is a this is a very quick turnaround. That will probably mean training camp would be you know a few weeks prior or almost right after the draft and. You know, one of the things that I think is probably being underreported here in this is, is is the Olympic angle of it, and it's something I've thought about. Yeah, I know that they don't want to they don't want to sort of conflict with the Olympics. The WNBA has to experience this sometimes, but they don't want to conflict with the Olympics. And even at that point, I think a couple of things on that front. One, mm-hmm. they're going to be able to avoid the Olympics by doing this, which is something I think is in the back of their minds, or at least like. You know, some players that aren't on playoff teams will be able to do that. But then secondly, it's like 
the the real thing that they're trying to preserve is 2021, 2022. Yes. They want that yes. to be normal. They want that to be normal. I don't know what normal was going to be by that time, though. But I think that they, they want to at least start that season in, like, November, December, the absolute latest, and get back to a regular NBA schedule, whatever they want that to be. This allows them to try new things, like the play-in tournament, which you brought up, which I hope continues. But I, 72 games feels like a lot, and starting in December feels like a lot. And, you know, I have a little bit of concern in terms of, like, what's that even going to look like? Because we know that the owners wanted to wait for fans and – by December, you're obviously not going to have fans unless there's something that I don't know about. And the irony of that is the dude that they want to win on November 3rd is going to be the guy that prevents them most from getting fans in the arenas. So well, I want I think what's going to happen is you will get some fans in some places, um, some smaller yeah. cities, um, in places where out in certain states. It have to be in certain states. I think in places like New York, California. You're not getting, well, I mean, Florida, they just, Florida's going to be Florida. So it's not going <laughs> to shock me what they do down there. You can see the magic and the heat getting fans in there. Some states will have it and it'll be at a reduced capacity. I think you'll see that, but I don't think in the big cities you're going to see it. But look, again, we can say all this right now, but none of us know anything because I think the next couple of weeks, election aside, is going to be very interesting. The numbers are going up again in many places with this pandemic. It's going to be very interesting. What we look at the world right now today, we're recently coming off of uh, 80,000 cases in one day, which was like the highest since June, I believe. You don't know what that's going to be like in December. So, you know, it's it's going to be very interesting, but this is about money. And what you brought up a concern, B, I am a little bit concerned. 72 game season, you're making it into, you're crunching it in a little bit shorter I wonder, are we going to see, like we saw in 2011, for those who remember the 98 lockout into the 99 season, you know, back-to-back-to-backs, four games in five nights, things that the league has definitely tried to avoid over the last couple of years. And so now it's making, even even if you talk about this eight-week break between the last game of the finals and the start of the season, you know, there has been a lot of talk about player safety and health, right? Yeah. That's kind of going out the window if you do this. You know what I think you're probably going to see and really going to have to see, especially since COVID is still going to be around. We don't know to what degree, but, you know, it could be worse conceivably, right? So I think what we're going to see is maybe less travel, meaning, you know, less of teams like, you know, like, for example, let's use the Orlando Magic. If they're going to play Denver, they're not going to then come back home and then go out to the West Coast to play Sacramento. They're probably going to figure out ways to keep teams in one place for a longer period of time, like more home and homes, uh, if like Charlotte and Atlanta, they're by each other. So they're going to try to like keep them in the same area. Like I think they're just going to figure out like how to do certain things like that. Like the Knicks may have a run where it's like for two straight weeks, all they're playing is like the Sixers, the Celtics, the Nets, maybe the Raptors. I wonder how this is going to affect the Raptors because they're in Canada. That's another sort of uh, subplot to all of yeah, this. Yeah, one, one of the thoughts has been about putting them in Louisville because the KFC Yum Center um, is a – is a uh, NBA ready arena. So the Raptors, because they can't, the can because Canadians and Canada has, has very strict laws on health and travel right now, as you should. And, as you should, right? And, um, <laughs> and so that's going to be interesting. But I do think you're right. I think you might see some sort of round robin situations. Um, you might see teams play each other in a division just through a certain time. I think they're going to try to limit limit that down. My concern is look at what's happening in MLB and baseball. And even if you limit the travel, what's stopping these dudes from going out? When they're in other cities, and are they going to be fine with that? It's going to be very interesting to see. I mean, 
you're gonna have outbreaks once you do yeah. this. You're going to. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, people travel. People are still gonna do what they do, and you know, there's still gonna be um, distractions in these cities, if you will, because it's not gonna be a bubble situation uh, where it was really, as far as we know, Daniel House was the only casualty. Uh, strong word, but you know what I mean. Uh, of of, mm-hmm. uh, of that experience there. And then, you know, we don't know how that's going to fare, like, now that these guys aren't in a bubble, whatever the case may be. Who knows? I, I All I know is that, like, this this is going to be very interesting because I also saw that Danny Green said today that he brought up that he, he could see LeBron just missing the entire first month of the season. I saw that. And, and if, you know, I don't know how legitimate that is, but I'm not going to call Danny Green a liar. He's been with the dude. He knows dude. And I'm sure that a lot of other players feel the same way. I think Zach Lowe even said on his last podcast with Bobby Marks, like, there's not one person that he's spoken to at least as excited about the NBA coming back so soon. Right. Uh, so I'm a little concerned with that because, like we mentioned, a couple of guys played till October. But the majority of, of teams or at least playoff teams or whatever the case may be were playing meaningful games in August which August to December is a little more standard, but that's still, like, given the timing and everything going on in the unprecedented times we're in, still feels a little bit soon emotionally for a lot of guys. It, it does. Even for me as a basketball fan, it feels soon. I mean, but look, they start a couple days before Christmas. I'll be there. Yeah, <laughs> League pass, there League pass will be ready, and I'll be watching. But we'll see how that goes. We'll have a lot more in that. It ain't hard to tell where to get the latest merchandise from Backpack Broadcasting. Gear is now available via TeePublic. Visit the Backpack Broadcasting TeePublic online store to get shirts, hoodies, mugs, and phone cases. Represent your favorite Backpack Broadcasting shows, including the Sports Walk, Sideline Stories, and of course, the Ain't Hard to Tell podcast. Check out the special offers for our podcast listeners at http colon backslash backslash pub backslash lic backslash backpack get in the game with your official backpack broadcasting here today things are kind of happening up in new england that i felt was going to come about at some point this season at some point cam newton who uh, i'm a fan of was going to have you know some struggles and the people up in new england we're going to let him know that he's not a TB12. He's not the man that used to sit under center for some time. They were going to let him know about that. And so Cam Newton uh, had a pretty bad day this past Sunday. Three interceptions. Um, and this is all, I also want to put a note with this story. This is all after coming back after contracting COVID. Uh, he missed well, two games and now has come back. And I, and you know, when I see this stuff, and I know Brian said this to me too, when we were texting about what we we're going to talk about the show, which is like, yo, we, we don't know how COVID has affected him. We have no idea if there are any complications with this. Now, look, B, we all know the culture of sports, particularly the culture of football. <laughs> Nobody's going to sit there and complain and say COVID's affecting them. Now, I think you should, if it is, say it to at least a medical professional, but they're not going to come out and say that publicly that COVID's affecting him. And I'm not saying I know that COVID is affecting Cam Newton. I'm just saying it's a possibility that you might actually want to consider but the fans in New England, you know they're coming for his head. And then you had one. Did you see Jeff Garcia's comments? No, I didn't. Oh, Jeff Gar- so Jeff Garcia decided to, you know, blast Cam Newton, which I, I'm going to go into why I think this was interesting. Not just for Cam Newton's play on the field. Cam Newton admitted that he didn't play good. 
He said he's been bad. He needs to be better. He let the team down. He stepped Worst up. Worst game made, of his career. Well, yeah. He's, he's, he, said, he said this. This is a former MVP who's, who's, who's done this. He said this, but, but this is what Jeff Garcia did. And I'm going I'm to I'm be straight about this from the jump. I got a problem with this because I'm black. And I got a problem when people do say and do what Jeff Garcia said that I do not like. He blasted Cam Newton for his flashy attire. Cam Newton's always wore his flashy attire, win or lose. Now you have a problem with it because he threw a couple of interceptions along with 98 yards. And, you know, New England's now 2-4. and four, And, you know, the people up there in, in New England with the funny accents, they're not used to the losing. Yeah. We, we, we understand this. Quote from your, from your boy, Jeff Garcia. I'm not claiming him just because his last name is Garcia. <laughs> I should put that out there. That's what I. That's definitely what I did there. But <laughs> you go into this game with two touchdowns, four interceptions. You threw what? Three more interceptions. You get yanked in the second half. There's nothing good going your way. Why are you dressing like that to bring more attention to yourself? I'd be trying to ask the equipment managers put me in a jock sock cart and sneak me in the back door, and I'll show up on the field and do the best that I can. Wow. Um. This just goes back to a couple years of watching this guy and seeing him at the podium, but yet he's what he's doing on the field does not translate to being that guy. First of all, Jeff Garcia, how has he not been that guy? This guy has been an MVP. He's led a Carolina Panthers team to the Super Bowl. And did anybody look at the receivers on that Panthers team back in 2015? Kelvin Benjamin, Jericho Cotchery, I think were his top two. Yeah. Tanky Jr. was up there also. And he doesn't look like he's that guy? Okay. Right. So... This is my problem with this. And, Ryan, you should rock on this because I know what what your thinking is on this. Yeah. People do not like – this is about order. Cam Newton steps a little bit out of order. He doesn't dress like everybody else. He's a little bit more flamboyant to dressing. Does Cam Newton rock some of the stuff that I would rock? No. But Cam (laughs) Newton can do whatever he wants. I don't care what Cam Newton does. Whether Cam Newton's winning or losing – why do you care what another man or woman is wearing to the game? Why do you care that much? That's what I would ask Jeff Garcia. Why does it bother you that much? And you can't say that it does not correlate to winning or losing. Cam Newton has won plenty of games dressing flashy, and now he's lost a couple of games where he's dressing flashy. Who cares? Somebody brought up Joe Namath. He used to wear fur coats and stuff before and after the game. And did Joe Namath get help for it? Probably not. Who is not as good as Cam Newton, by the way. Yeah, right. Even though, but he <laughs> said, when you predict you're going to win a Super Bowl, you go out and do it. You can wear whatever the hell you want. Uh, we could pause on that for a second because Joe Namath was wearing those fur coats before he made the prediction and won a Super Bowl. And I guarantee you there weren't white people or anybody else coming for him about that. But it's always about, especially in that culture around the Patriots, got to be the Patriot way. And we got to keep them in line and keep them in order. And Cam Newton should be grateful that he's a... NFL quarterback, and he shouldn't dress like this and all that. Jeff Garcia, shut the hell up, man. Shut up. Yeah. The 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 bottom line is nobody care. I mean, nobody nobody would care if they were just winning games. Like if they were four and one instead of two and three, then nobody would open their mouth about the way he dresses, or at least not as much. I would think. Right. So I think people are just finding other things to attack him for just because he's playing bad. I actually think we're underselling the COVID aspect of this. Because, Probably. And although. There are two things here with Cam Newton I think we have to consider. One is just the COVID thing straight up because we don't know. Like, this is a guy who has it. Uh, he, he was asymptomatic the entire time. We don't know how – like, we, we just don't know that much. Like, we're still learning about how this disease could affect everybody differently. Uh, Raquel Armstead, who was the running back 
uh, with the Jacksonville Jaguars. He's expected to miss the entire season because of COVID now Mm -hmm. because he's been breathing wrong and like he's just all messed up. And this is a running back who was in the running to replace uh, Leonard Fournette. So he was going to be in a big spot in Jacksonville. And now he's done for the season because of COVID complications. And hopefully he gets through that because that sounds like something that's not fun, especially as an NFL running back where your money is always in question. Now, uh, as it relates to Cam Newton. We don't really know. We're going to have to see how they rebound. And he's, you know, he was awful last week and he was bad the week before, too. But I'm going to wait and see because there, there may be something that comes along the line, whether it's Adam Schefter or whomever the case may be that reports like, yeah, he's been having trouble, you know, just sort of breathing. And maybe this hasn't gotten out yet. I think that's fully to be expected. And also with Cam Newton, it's like, yo, at some point, like my big concern with him is he's just taking a lot of punishment. He's never had great offensive lines. He doesn't really have one now either. Uh, and he's always been used as sort of a battering ram by his coaches. And mm-hmm. he's always like leaned in and taken these hits. And I feel like at some point that was going to tip the other way. Maybe this is the start of that because he is in his early 30s now. And, you know, who was kind of like a running back, uh, a running back slash quarterback hybrid for a good duration of his career. And at 31 now, I wonder if that's something that is going to take into effect. But I think Jeff Garcia, you know, his comments are obviously strong. Uh, I don't feel like you need to come down. I, I, I'm a little more uncomfortable with it, not just because uh, he's, you know, of Mexican and Irish descent, so, you know, a white Latino, I guess, even though I don't really fuck with the term. But, I, you know, that, that sort of applies here because Jeff Garcia, I don't look at him and think he's one of my relatives. You know what I'm saying? So, yeah, yeah. And then, and then, you know, coming at Cam Newton the way he is, and Cam Newton's obviously a black quarterback, which leads me to believe, like, would he be doing this to Matthew Stafford? I'm no. not entirely sure. No. I would think no. And then, you know, the whole angle of Cam Newton being New England, which you brought up, is like this was inevitable at some point. It was. So I hope Cam Newton turns it around and, can't believe I'm saying this, gets the Patriots into the playoffs so that people can shut up. Uh, and it doesn't help also in his case that Tom Brady is playing as well as he as well as well he is, which I wish would fucking stop already. I'm tired of watching it, to be honest. And he just got a new, he just got a new weapon. Look, Cam yeah. was playing good before he went down with COVID. Antonio Brown, Antonio Brown, who, by the way, two things on that. Bruce Arians said before the season with Tom Brady there, I will not sign Antonio Brown. Mm-hmm. And Tom Brady, part of why he left New England, I think, because he wanted more pull, so, you know, to get him some weapons because he's aging. Because if he was in New England, he wouldn't be playing well because he didn't have these weapons. That's one. Two, Antonio Brown, during quarantine, during COVID, got with Tiana Trump. That's all I'm going to say. <laughs> all right. You know, like, it, it was probably a one-time thing knowing both of them. But, you know, the, look, I, I got to give him props for that. Who, you got to give him – look, look, it is, it is what it is. Can, can, if you're if you're so curious, people. Yo, you can oh, you yo, you can find out. Cam, yeah, yeah, yeah. Cam, Cam Newton, I just think has has long been a, a ridiculously un, overly scrutinized quarterback, as a lot of black quarterbacks have been in yep. the league. But I think when people do stuff like you start coming, to, you start coming to somebody's personal attire. Yo, you're you're corny, Jeff Garcia. Yes, you're corny. Like you're not doing that, and it fits a narrative of that. I, I agree. I don't think we'll go around black quarterbacks. Nobody would say this about Tom Brady when he was struggling last year. Nobody said, "Hey, maybe Tom Brady shouldn't be doing this commercial or that commercial." Nobody would ever say that. And you could give me the excuses about that he's won or whatever. Stop acting like Cam Newton hasn't had any success. Like he hasn't been to a Super Bowl. Like he's some bum. I mean, y'all out here, you're talking about him like he's the. He's, the, he's probably a future Hall of Famer. Yeah, you really yeah, think he, about it. Y'all here talking like he's playing for the Jets or something. 
Like, come on. So, Which, I mean, okay. we're not talking about them. Um, <laughs> so, that you know, that's it. I, I, I'm just intrigued. I just hope Cam Newton can get back to what he was doing in the first couple of weeks of the season and just shut all these haters up. One time for your mom, one time. One time for your mom, one time. One time for your mind this week. Uh, I don't know if we're breaking any news here, but you might have heard something. And I remember I, I texted Ryan this uh, the other day when the news broke, and he laughed. I was a little shocked about it. What was my response? It. What was my response? I think it was uh, laughing your ass off. I think that's exactly no. It was, it was ha 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 over and over and over again until I filled up the entire thing. Yeah, something like that. Uh, I don't even know how to uh, describe this company. And listen, we are not. I'm not laughing personally at anybody's failure because I'm not somebody to do that. But and I don't think that's what Brian's laughing. I think people understand as we discuss this. Uh, right. The media company Quibi, uh, which launched earlier this year, as word came out that it is shutting down, um, which is very shocking for a new media company in these times, in this day, in this day and age. I'd say I'm talking about in recent media times. Obviously, this year of 2020 is a lot different for different things in terms of anything. Like, it's hard for a lot of businesses to start businesses. We, I think we understand that. I think that context needs to be applied. Ryan is somebody... I When, when Quibi came out uh, and I saw what it was, it's a, to, for people who don't know, it's a short-form video service, Okay. They put out content. That's only on your phone. Only you can That's watch on your phone. Only on your phone you watch through, on, through on, the Quibi app with paywalls. Right. It's like $5 a month. $5 a month or something like that, right? And they, and they had all these major Hollywood stars and backing from major Hollywood studios in this. I mean, Steven Spielberg's involved. Kevin Hart is Wayne, involved. The Rock Johnson, so, Chrissy Teigen, John Legend, Chance the Rapper, Meg the Stallion. You You name it. You name it, they had it. And they had, uh, so the company will be closing on December 1st. They had about $1 billion in funding, right? More More than that. It was closer to two. Closer to two. It was like $1.75 billion or something like that. Something like that. Right. So, crazy. You also were like, look, man, they got people behind this. They got money behind this. And let's, I think Brian and I spoke about this earlier in the year and was like, yo, would you check out the content? They offered this free trial. And I personally was never moved to check it out. The reason being that I watch what I do watch on my phone when I watch on my phone is because I'm watching something in a place where I generally can't access TV and it's something I really watch. For example, I have League Pass. If I'm somewhere like a barbershop or something, I might watch a game on my phone or something like that. When I was traveling for work, I'm flying. Might watch some some Netflix movies I downloaded, something on Hulu, Amazon Prime, some shows. I'll continue my phone. But on the regular, to just be like, oh, I'm watch some content on my phone, not really. Now I said, look, I'm a 37-year-old man. Maybe this is what the kids are going to be kicking kicking it with and starting to do this. But I guess it goes to show with the fact they're shutting down. That's not what the what the kids really want or what the streets really wanted here. Um, so, Brian, I'm asking you, you were skeptical of this. Oh, we're, skeptical. We, we don't. Have, we, we Brian and I don't have different things for this one time for your mind. So we're just talking about the same thing. But you were skeptical of this. Why did you not think it was going to work? I remember when they first launched. When they first launched, uh, I was pissed because of just the business model, um, and I knew that it was going to flop. I remember comparing it to Rod, 
to Roddy Boubois in a tweet. And I'm going to try to find that and pull it up as soon as I got this. Yeah, you, you had tweeted that I've got Jeff Eisenband. Uh, yes, I, yes. I saw that. Jeff I just... Eisenband said on April 6th when this was announced. April 6th. April? Six oh, when months. it was announced. Okay, yeah. Six months. Only in America. $2 billion. Uh, like Jeffrey Katzenberg and I forgot the woman's name, Meg Whitman. Meg Whitman. Know, Again, again, white people being allowed to just strike out and be like, hey, you know, we got all this money, whatever. Let's move on to the next thing. And they're going to create a new app next year, whatever. They were sort of banking on like people being able to watch from their phones and cabs and, you know, while they're out and about, whatever the case may be. So maybe the pandemic did hurt them, but fuck that. So Jeff Eisenman said Quibi's <laughs> NBA comparison is Ben Simmons. Clearly a ton of talent. It's going to take time to see if it can reach superstar potential. Definitely entertaining and hard to look away during rookie season like nothing we've ever seen before. I quote tweeted our boy. And I said, it's actually Roddy Bouvois where the idea of it is way better than the execution and it'll be out of our lives quickly. I fucking nailed that. That's all I want to say uh, in regards to that, right? So the reason why I didn't think it was going to work is because it's the same thing. Like, we've experienced this personally with people that we've worked with. We've experienced this from afar, from things that we've seen. Companies are going after celebrities to try to help promote their product. Mm -hmm. Instagram is even doing this now with influencers, uh, and things of that nature, and I use air quotes for people listening to the podcast, I'm influencers there. Like, this is what it is, and eventually all these models are going to falter or some way or just not perform to the way that you think they are because you're actually not going out and trying anything innovative. What you're trying to do is just attach it to these celebrities and have them carry the product for you, when if you were to get young, hungry talent, young, hungry workers, producers, whatever the case may be, they could actually push this and be unique and make this thing work in a way that it hasn't. There's a reason why it is harder for a wrestling company to come up in the pro wrestling world when they're just taking all the old WWE talent because motherfuckers want to see new shit. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, AEW, I think AEW, you're going to see a lot of the same guys you saw in WWE. Chris Jericho's 50 years old now. God love him. One of the best books I ever read was his first book, Alliance Tale Around the World of Spandex. Don't really want to see him wrestle at age 50 like that. Like, this is kind of what it is with Quibi to me. It's like we're getting all these celebrities, and it's like you're not, it's like WCW back in the day. You're not developing talent. You're not bringing anything new to the table. You're just giving Chrissy Teigen a fucking show where she's a judge. You're giving Chance the Rapper punked or a new version of it. Mm -hmm. You're giving this person this and this person. Well, that's, get, well, that's a whole Clippers documentary. You have a whole Clippers documentary where all these names and even Jamel Hill got sucked into it and Matt Barnes and all of this on Donald Sterling when even when even ESPN already did the 30 for 30 podcast series mm -hmm. with Ramona Shelburne mm -hmm. last year on the same fucking subject. And why do I want to watch this on Quibi on a phone where I'm going to have to probably have it vertical anyway? Like, it's so fucking oh, stupid. Oh, that would annoy me. I don't know why they wanted that, why they thought that shit was going to work. You have to give people the option to hook the shit up to their TV or watch it on their TV. If this shit is on my phone, I'm not going to pay $5 a month for that shit. That is stupid, especially when you're not developing any new talent. WCW fucked up in the 90s because the entire time they were there, they developed one star. Goldberg. That's it. Goldberg and Booker T. I'll give you a second one. Booker T. When WWE just kept developing talent, new talent, Stone Cold, The Rock, Triple H, whatever, whatever. Right? Like, it, same thing with Quibi. If you're going to just get the celebrities and you're just going to get all these people with names and followers and things like that, but they're not actually people that people really want to see in this space because they can get them elsewhere, then nobody's going to give a shit. I think, I think that's a great point, right? The younger people, the audience they're probably going for, they can get access to some of these people elsewhere in a way that they want. Brian, I think, makes good points. I'm going to read some stuff that people said because I was very fascinated about why people oh, were... Oh, do you in have numbers? Do you have the number I want to get to? 
No, I don't have the number. I have some quotes. I'll get. We'll get let, to the number. Let me just let me just mention this then, real quick. Oh, I know it. Oh, okay, I know what number you want to get to. Got you. I don't remember how many people signed up for the free trial, but it was something like five point six million, right? Which, like, people may see, may hear that and think that's a lot for what they're going for, for what their output was, for what the money that they raised. It's not really a lot. Then on top of that, the amount of people in I think the United States who stuck around after their free trial, seventy two thousand. That's it. 72,000. We just talked about La Cultura. And <laughs> in terms of views, and like, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like, we're, we're talking about something that's almost in the same ballpark. Like, <laughs> 72,000 people stuck around on a $2 billion investment after the first month. That shit was done. Like, we knew what it was going to be. Mm-hmm. And I, people think that quarantine actually would have hurt them because people wouldn't have been out and about, whatever the case may be. We've been on our phones for seven straight months. So it should have been, been more reason for the people. Right. It should have done better. So, I mean, I've, so I want to say this. So I have a uh, person I know, uh, their significant other was working on a show for Quibi. So I feel bad because that person's now out of work. Um you know, and any other content creator, I feel bad for for them being out of work. Um, yep. However, not any. But, you know, I didn't know how this was going to go. I do think Brian's points are right behind you when you bank all on celebrities or names, and you don't actually bring people something new. I do think it's problematic. I'm just going to read some quotes before we go for some people who are in the industry around this stuff and what they had to say. This is Hal Vogel, CEO of Vogel Capital Research. He's a former entertainment analyst. He says, "I'm not at all surprised." I never understood the concept appeal or saw its ability to scale, which is always huge when you're looking at something for a business. Given the basic idea was to charge sub-fees while spending enormous amounts per minute of programming, which is another fair point. You're paying for all these uh, names and programming, but it's short programming. It's not long-form programming. As a result, he said from the start, there's a solution looking for a problem. He adds, I also thought the competition for short time frames was more amenable to things like crossword puzzles or Candy Crush type video games. This is from Peter Savy, founder, chairman, and advisor of Creative TV Media. He says he was always skeptical about Quibi's chance and felt it always had a huge uphill fight. But he has, I like bold audacious experience, and Quibi was certainly that. Uh, blah blah blah. If Cadensburg couldn't pull off Quibi's core core vision, then no one can. The vision of expensively produced Hollywood budgeted content for a mobile first millennial audience. It's confined to the entertainment dustbin in perpetuity, <laughs> which pretty much he's saying nobody will ever try this again. Um, Not in that way, no. Observers will likely discuss what went wrong for Quibi for Rob. Sadie suggests that the company faced content distribution and marketing challenges. Sadie said the company got its marketing wrong, its target market. Young people had, no, quote, no idea what it was or why they should care. Right. Their initial coming out Super Bowl ad was a disaster. I don't know if anybody remembers that Super Bowl commercial with the bank robbers escaping. I, I ended up seeing this after because I didn't really watch most Super Bowl last year. While the getaway driver watched content and phone replying, quote, I'll be there in a quibby. Yeah. Oh, I remember. Yeah. Oh, I remember this. Yeah. He oh. said, and, and, and here we go. This goes to Brian's point. Sadie also add, added, excuse me, quibby also, quote, got his content wrong. Its target market, young people, didn't care that traditional Hollywood superstar talent like Steven Spielberg was behind the camera. And the service may have misjudged his distribution strategy, 
excuse me, a distributed strategy. Quiddy's content was not social. It's incredibly difficult to share and hence scale. All, yeah, you weren't, you, all good points you weren't, Apparently, you weren't allowed to take screenshots of the stuff. Nope. So go, that goes to the point of it being, uh, you know, there to share. It's like, th- like, this is the thing. You have to be able to share things with people. Like, that's just the fundamental thing that we have to do. Like, I have to be able to get a tweet and text it to somebody or just copy the link and just post it in their Twitter DM. And it's like, yo, like, we're just talking. It's hard to do that stuff when you have a paywall. But I still think you have to make it shareable to the point where either people have options. I think people like optionality where they can watch on their phone and watch it on the TV. Like, you can with a Netflix or Hulu or Amazon content. Um, I thought this last quote I'll give was interesting. He thought the pandemic, this is Sadie, also played into the equations. Target audience was always daytime audience. Students and young young working people to give them premium quick bites throughout their day while they ordered their cappuccino, etc. But instead, with the COVID lockdown, that audience vanished in large numbers. And Quibi never had a nighttime living room strategy. I disagree. Fair point. No, I disagree. But you disagree with that? But, but what I disagree with the morning part of it. Or because... you don't or you don't think that audience was gonna be there anyway. Probably not, but I disagree with the morning part of it because I think that while the pandemic that people would have found ways to, I guess, digest the quick by content, but it's like we're not locked away in jail. We're home. So if it was that good and that enticing, we would have found a way to get to it because well, we were all day anyway. Well, that brings me to this next quote from Sadie that I actually, excuse me, this is actually uh, Ender's an- an- analysis to uh, Tom Harrington. Yeah, I think he brings up a point that I've made for a long time. There's been this notion around content creation, particularly video, that people want things shorter, 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 shorter. People have no interest in the long form. I've always said, bump that. If the long form is good, people will watch. As example of the awards we just won. People will watch. <laughs> um, he said the weird strategies around not necessarily being available on TV, et cetera, as you brought up, Brian, has always been covered. But for me, the core problem was always was there's no clear evidence that people who have been trained by 50 plus years of episode lengths on TV actually want narratives in shorter forms. It's certainly not what they watch on YouTube. And if there's some desire for that, Quibi was still going to have to spend hundreds of millions on content that it had no idea would work and would probably be useless when it, find, when it finally worked out and what did. He also added, it's no surprise that despite all its innovation around delivery, Netflix presents very traditional formats. The fact that a lot of legacy companies invest in Quibi is more of a sign of desperation on their part than any sort of belief in what it was trying to do. In a report earlier in the year, to quote this guy Harrington, he and his colleagues said this, so they weren't late to the party. Quote, for an unproven service to attract 1.3 million active users in its first five weeks is impressive, but by its own account, Quibi's launch underwhelmed. Sizable subscriber targets 7 million by year one, that was their goal, and 16 million by year three, justify a level of spend spend never seen in short-form video, but are ambitious for an experimental startup with limited brand equity. Quibi had disclosed that it had 1.6 million subscribers to its initial 90-day free trial. Yo, you know you know what the thing is, too? Now that you bring that up, it's something I just thought about. This is a point that I made in the in the video that I posted like right after this in my little Instagram rant or whatever the case may be. People think that TV is quote unquote dead when it's far from it because we're especially during this pandemic it shows you like we're consuming a lot of TV just in different ways. It's not really TV, I guess if you want to call it that. Right. But we we have Netflix, we have Hulu. Everybody's watching a series. Like one of the icebreakers for a discussion when you meet somebody, what are you watching right now? 
You know what I mean? Like, it's series. It's a movie. People are still watching movies, just finding different ways to do so. Podcasts, which are long form in large part. Joe Rogan's podcast is probably the most popular in the world. Millions of people watch that. And all of his episodes are three hours. They could pick which parts they want to watch. Right. Joe that's Budden, that's et cetera, a great point. People like, are going back and watching older shows. It's we're, we're seeing that. And to put a bow on this, if you had a Quibi account and you haven't listened to this podcast, and now you're like, man, I'm looking for something to watch. Go watch that La Cultura. That's what you should do. <laughs> Go catch up on sideline stories. Go catch up on some side hustle. Yeah, Go catch other, up on the sports walk. There's other yeah. some good content. And some of that content's kind of short. It actually kind of fits into the Quibi model if you yeah. if if you if you if you, you want to look. But it's good, and you can still go out and see it. And you don't have to pay for it. And you know what? You can also share it with your friends. That's the other yeah. good thing about it. You can share it with your friends. Let us know what you think. So, And, and, and we have a, a Patreon if you do, in fact, wanna, want to you know, compensate us. Yeah, you want to so, compensate you know? us for that because a lot of people put hard work into it. All right, yeah. well, yeah, it's going to be a lot of interesting. I think a lot will still be talked about regarding Quibi and why it failed or what happened. But it should be very interesting. There's a lot of good com- comments out there, and I think stuff from industry insiders and content insiders content insiders i don't think there's one way to create content but i think the lesson should be learned it's got to be shareable and it's got to be scalable if you don't and, have that you're not going to have the it lo- and for the love of god like i tweeted out have some balls have some foresight find new talent that has a lot find new you talent. can say a lot of that through media period that applies to a lot of places right. in media right. period all right that's it for episode 152 of the ain't hard to tell podcast please remember to subscribe uh share Follow us on all social media platforms. We plan to be here for a while. We're not going anywhere. I can tell you that for sure. We'll yeah. be back. And, and we're doubling up this week. Yes, so we're doubling just, up this yeah. week. You get a, spe- episode, a special right. episode. Uh, Next a pre- week, we are not going against the election. <laughs> yeah. We're a, a pre, uh, we'll have a pre-election episode coming up soon. I think you guys will like our guest for that. Uh has been on the show before, um, so that should be pretty good. Uh, that's it for this episode. For Brian Fonseca, I'm Dexter Henry. Until next time, yeah. y'all. Peace.